And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. We're a weekly radio show podcast, and to make sure that you automatically hear about each episode, you can sign up to our RSS feed either at iTunes or on the radio page of our site, creatingafamily.org slash radio show, or uh, you can use any of your uh, podcast uh, players. Uh, All of them, I think, now have the ability to subscribe uh, to a show. So just hit subscribe onto your favorite uh, uh, podcast player. Today's show will be about breastfeeding without birthing. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family. We're a nonprofit providing education, resources, and support for both adoption and infertility. You can find us at our website, creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is proud to say that we are underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. For many patients, costs can be a barrier to pursuing fertility treatment. That's why Faring is now offering a savings card for their endometrin vaginal inserts. This instant savings card can offer up to $50 savings each month on your endometrin prescription for eligible patients. To get more information, you can talk to your doctor uh, and ask uh, him or her about it. Here's a quick reminder. Next Tuesday, May 14th, we're going to be having the Creating a Family Book Club webinar. Uh, It's going to be at 8 o'clock that night, 8 o'clock, I should say, uh, Eastern Time, uh, and that would make it 7 Central, 6 uh, Mountain, and 5 Pacific. We'll be discussing Growing Up Black and White by Kevin Hoffman. It's a memoir of a brown kid growing up in a white family in the 70s and 80s. Uh, It's a quick read, so there is still time to both get the book and read it before next week. Uh, And Kevin's going to be on the webinar with us discussing the book and his life as an adult transracial adoptee. We'll share the specifics of of participating, how you, it's free, but you've got to be calling numbers and all that type of stuff on our newsletter. So if you aren't already uh, a member uh, of our newsletter or on the list to receive it, I guess that's the way to say it, huh? Uh, Now is the time to remedy that. You can go to any page of creatingafamily.org and you're going to find the sign up box at the top left corner of our site. Or if you would rather just send, actually just send me an email and uh, we'll, I'll get you at it. Uh, and that my email is dawn at creatingafamily.org. I blog on topics of interest to those involved with either adoption or infertility three times a week. And a recent one you might enjoy was yesterday's blog on the biggest challenges facing the evangelical orphan care ministry. Uh, the uh, discussion has been great in the comment section. As it so often is, honestly, I sometimes think, not sometimes, actually pretty often, I think that the uh, the best part of my blog is in, always is in the comment section. We are having some really uh, interesting and thoughtful discussions going on there. Uh, you can participate at creatingafamily.org slash blog. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors including Children's Connection. They're an adoption agency with offices literally throughout Texas. Uh, The list is way too long to read of the cities that they have offices in. Uh, And they provide domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support and education to families throughout the United States. We also have independent adoption centers whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in all 40, well, 49 of the 50 states, I should say, and they're fully licensed in California, Indiana, Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, Connecticut, and there's one more, New York. Uh, so, as you've just heard, creating a family is a nonprofit. So, one of the ways we pay our bills is through our wonderful sponsors who believe in our mission of bringing you unbiased and accurate information and supporting you on whatever your path is to achieving parenthood. 
excuse me. One way you can help us is support by supporting those who support us. Now, you've just heard about our gold sponsors, but we also have regular sponsors as well. You can find all of our sponsors. Excuse me, guys, I am battling <clears throat> an allergy, so I'm going to have to cough here just to get, because now I'm thinking, don't cough, don't cough. So the minute I start thinking don't cough, of course, then I have to cough. <coughs> okay, hopefully I got it out of my system. Um we list all of our sponsors on the service provider page of our website. Um, so if you are looking for an adoption agency or a therapist or a infertility clinic or any host of things that you might be looking for, please go to the service provider page of our site. Uh, we allow you to choose based on location, services provided, anyway, just a whole host of things that we think are important when choosing. And when you choose somebody on that database, you are supporting those who support us, and that allows us to continue in our existence. So today's show is going to be um, on breastfeeding without birthing. Can you? Should you? And more importantly, how do you? Um, Our guest today is Alyssa Schnell. She is an international board-certified lactation consultant. She is also the author of a new book, Breastfeeding Without Birthing, a breastfeeding guide for mothers through adoption, surrogacy, and other special circumstances. Welcome, Alicia Snell, to to Creating a Family. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Hmm. Well, in addition to being a lactation consultant, you were also a mom through domestic infant adoption, and you breastfed your daughter. Did you breastfeed her exclusively, or did you have to end up using supplemental? Uh, I was very lucky I was able to breastfeed her exclusively. Most mothers who induce lactation don't make a full milk supply, but there are a few of us lucky ones who do. Um, is it more common to be able to breastfeed exclusively if you have already breastfed, and I believe you had already breastfed two children by birth. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, you're right on both counts. Uh, hmm. Generally, if a mother has been pregnant and breastfed before, her breasts are just going to respond more quickly and more abundantly to inducing lactation. Um, does it matter how long it has been since you have breastfed? Um, in other words, if if you have weaned your child in, let's say, less than a year or less than two years, and then you try to induce, will you have an easier time inducing than if you had been five years since you last breastfed? Probably. You know, it takes actually a while for the breast to completely involute and go back to that pre-breastfeeding state. A lot of mothers can even express milk an hour, an, a year after they've weaned. So probably the, the shorter the time it's been, we haven't done any studies. I wish I could give you something definite, but it does seem like the shorter the gap has been, the more quickly the body responds. And it kind of makes intuitive sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. In um in in your book Breastfeeding Without Birthing, you talk about four keys to successful breastfeeding uh through adoptive for adoptive moms or moms through surrogacy. And those four are knowledge, confidence, suckling and stimulation of hormones. So we're going to talk about all those today. Okay. Um one of the things and we're going to start knowledge I think it kind of goes without saying that that if you're listening to this show, one of the reasons you're listening to this show is to become knowledgeable, and knowledge will, of course, lead to confidence, as well as another thing that really helps confidence is developing a support network, and we're going to talk about that really throughout the uh, uh, throughout the program. Um, one of the things you say in the book is to mimic, uh, in, in order to both encourage the baby as well as to encourage the woman's, the mother's uh, uh, milk production, is to mimic the baby's time in the womb. What do you mean by that? What I'm looking for is, especially for babies who are not uh, adopted at birth, sometimes pressing that reset button, bringing babies back to that time in the womb, because as soon as the baby is born, that's when the instincts for breastfeeding are greatest. So we can, if we can press that reset button, by doing things that simulate the time in the womb, such as bathing together, you've got that nice, surrounded by the nice warm water that's reminiscent of the utero, or baby wearing, which is very similar to that feeling of being in utero. That's Those are great ways to kind of restart and then restart a new life as a breastfeeding baby. Okay, yeah, and, and you say that babies under eight weeks are likely to be able to latch 
and, and become interested in breastfeeding without much problems. But what about a baby over that age that has been accustomed to being bottle fed? How can you help them? Um, otherwise, that means presenting a breast to them and, and expecting them to suck on it. You know, I'm sure they're going, well, you know, why? Why would I want to do that? <laughs> Right, right. So we always want to start with the baby where he or she is at. So if that baby has been in institutionalized care where that baby is not even being used to being held while being fed, is not comfortable with eye contact, um, maybe has even been uh, drinking from a bottle that's been tampered so that the nipple opening is enlarged, that baby is not ready to be offered the breast. So we want to gradually transition the baby to loving care where that baby can be bottle-fed, held close to mom, um, make eye contact. And a lot of babies who are coming into adoption are already at this point, but if they're not, we have to be sure to get them ready for that. And then once they're ready for loving care, we can gradually transition them from bottle-feeding to breastfeeding, and there are techniques to make bottle-feeding more like breastfeeding. There's also techniques for making breastfeeding more like bottle-feeding. So if we can make, we can help babies bridge that gap, That'll help them to transition from breast to, from bottle to breast. And I love that concept that what you're trying to do is really remove the differences. So let's talk about both of those. How can you make? Uh, you're going to start with making bottle feeding more like breastfeeding, and then when you transition to the breast, it would make sense to then make the breastfeeding more like bottle feeding. So let's start with uh, first. You're, you're still uh, your child is not latching on, or you have not even offered. You're still bottle feeding. What can you do to make bottle feeding more like breastfeeding? Um, Well, one thing you can do is you can bottle feed skin to skin because we always breastfeed skin to skin. Um, We can make the flow from the bottle slow because the flow from the breast is always slow. So one way we can do that is use the slowest slow nipple regardless of the baby's age. And, again, we may have to gradually transition baby to that. We can also... um, Make sure that the baby is doing the work of moving the supplement from the bottle to the mouth. So oftentimes in our culture, we cradle babies so that the bottle is tipped and gravity is helping the, the milk or formula flow. Well, if we hold the baby upright so that the, and, the, and the bottle more horizontal, the baby has to do all the work of moving the milk or formula. So that's another thing we could do. Another thing, and there's a there's a bunch, and you don't have to do them all. It's just kind of pick or choose what seems to be resonating with your baby. Another thing we can do is make sure the baby has a nice wide gape around the bottle nipple because we, the baby needs to do that in order to breastfeed effectively and comfortably. And a lot of times it's a matter of choosing the right bottle nipple so the baby can achieve that gape. And, and specifically, do you, is there a type of nipple that you recommend? Most babies do best getting a nice wide gape around the, the more narrow, traditional shaped. There's a lot of these wider bottles that are marketed for breastfeeding babies, and I want to emphasize that that's just marketing. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of babies, what will happen in these wider base bottles is they'll just be able to latch onto the tip, so they've got this really narrow gape around it because they can't get around the wide part. If your if your baby can get around the wide part, great, but many babies cannot. So, you know, I encourage you to try some different things and see where your baby is getting that nice wide latch. So uh, even a traditional nipple where the nipple itself is relatively small, um, you're saying that wouldn't be a bad idea in the sense that the baby gets more of the nipple in in, uh, his mouth? Right. So a lot of babies can get all the way up to that plastic collar or close to it with the more narrow bottles, whereas in the wider ones they can't even get close. And for gotcha. most babies, in most cases, again, every baby's different. Right, right. Yeah, but we're we're giving general information here. Okay, right. perfect. Okay, those are uh, great suggestions, and so you're you're just going to have to practice with that. How do you find a nipple that has a what? What's the so you buy a bunch of different nipples? How do you know which one is has a small hole? You would think that you can just look, but quite frankly. Looking at the nipple, the hole in the nipple doesn't often tell you, um, and that's a really wide one, obviously, yes, but otherwise, um, what's the what's the trick for you know, just determining uh, how slow of the how slow of a flow a nipple is? That's a great question. Um, usually, on the labels, it'll say slow, medium, fast, or it may be by your baby's age, like newborn. But there is no standardization for that, so it's really just what the manufacturer has labeled it. Um, So definitely start with the slowest flow of that particular brand. 
And there's a couple ways to determine, you know, even within the slow flow, there's a big variety of how fast or slow that is. So you could just fill the bottle with water and, you know, see how a few of them trickle out. Um, another thing you can do, there's a great book called Balancing Breast and Bottle, and it talks about a lot of the things we're talking about right now. And um, they've got a list of bottle nipples that they consider slower flow versus faster, slower flow. Yeah. Um, and so if you take a bottle and you put the nipple on, of course, water, hold it upside down, what are you looking for? You're looking for a drip, but a very slow drip? Are you looking to, uh, is there any rule of thumb that you'd be able to count to, you know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi before you, you know, see the drip, or, or is that, am I trying to make it too simplistic? Um, I have not heard of anything specifically. It would be more of just comparing a few. Um, okay. A few different ones and seeing how they flow. Okay. All right, so those were tips for making bottle feeding more like breastfeeding. Kind of just brief summary skin-to-skin contact, slowing down the flow by the choice of a low-flow nipple. I say that one three times fast. Boy. Yes. Um, uh, holding the baby, and this is one I've not heard of, and it's an interesting one, um, rather than uh, have the baby work against gravity, um, which is a an interesting idea. And, and that's a great idea. In fact, I just never had thought of it. Um, making certain that your the nipple, a lot of the nipple can get into the baby's mouth and that uh, his or her nose is, is free, and that's what you mean by a wide gape around the the baby, the, the baby's nose and mouth? What, what I mean by a wide gape is that if you look at the corner of the mouth, it's a really wide, we're looking for a wide angle versus we don't want those pursed lips. We want the baby to have a nice wide angle. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Okay. Yeah, and yes, and hence why um, the nipples that are the little tiny nipples on the big wide um, bottle, I mean the big wide plastic uh, nipples are may or may not be the best because your baby may not be, your baby may be pursing just to grab a hold to the tip of the nipple versus opening his mouth wide to get the entire um, plastic part into his mouth. And, and so you're going to have to experiment uh, to get that to get that happening. Um, and I think that's it as far as our uh, tips for turning bottle feeding more like breastfeeding. Anything else before we move on to how to make breastfeeding more like bottle feeding? Um, so one difference between breastfeeding and bottle feeding also is that when a baby bottle feeds, the milk or formula flows right away. When a baby breastfeeds, the baby has to suck on the breast several times to initiate that letdown. And so what can happen is babies can get very frustrated. They latch onto the breast, and it seems like, oh, great, they're on, and they let, and they suckle a few times and then pop off because nothing's flowing. So we can also bridge that gap um, on either end. Either we can, while breast while bottle feeding, if a baby takes the bottle, you can tip the bottle down so there's nothing flowing at first, so the baby has to suckle a few times before they get anything from the bottle, so it's sort of a delayed gratification. Or you could work from the other end on breastfeeding and help the milk to flow right away. And you can do that one of two ways. If the mother has an ample milk production, she can do some hand expression to get the milk flowing right away. Or if she doesn't have, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this, if she doesn't have a lot of milk production, she may be using an at-breast supplementer, which is a bag or bottle that hangs around the mother's neck with a feeding tube to the nipple. She can start, she can pull the milk or formula through the feeding tube so that it's available right away. She can just like suck it like a straw and then put it to the nipple so that so there's flow right away. Okay. Yeah, so that one kind of goes both ways. You can, um, although it seems to me you'd be giving the baby air um, if you're allowing um, uh, her to suck, uh, you know, where, where she's not getting anything. I don't know, is that, does that tend to cause discomfort and gas? I I have not heard that. I believe that the the sucking swallow the sucking mechanism does not allow that. But you know, certainly if it seems like it's causing your baby problem or you just feel uncomfortable with it, then don't you know certainly just don't go that route. Okay. All right. So those are okay. So now let's transition over to talking about making breastfeeding more like bottle feeding. 
Now, you've just mentioned one uh, of the differences, and that is to either stimulate your letdown reflex quickly, or not quickly, but before the baby latches on so that there's milk flowing the minute he starts sucking, or if you're using a, a supplemental feeder, you can have that where the supplemental feeder is already got the milk at the ready so that at the first suck there is milk actually coming into um, his or her mouth. So that's one tip. How else can we make breastfeeding more like bottle feeding? Okay. There's a couple other things you can do. One a challenge moving from the bottle feeding to breastfeeding is that bottle nipple is quite a bit different than the breast. It's certainly more firm. It's more protruding. So we can try to make the breast a little bit more like that. And the first thing I would suggest trying is to do what we call a breast sandwich. And it's basically putting the thumb on one side of the breast, the forefingers on the other, and just kind of uh, compressing and pulling back a little bit. So the idea is to make the, the breast tissue a little more firm, a little more protruding. Some babies do better, do better with that. It's a little more similar feel. Um, if that isn't enough, and a lot of times it isn't for these babies who are used to the bottle nipple, uh, many mothers transition using a nipple shield. Um, another thing that you can do is we mentioned kind of flow before, we can also try to increase the flow at the breast if the baby is still struggling with the slower flow of breastfeeding. A couple things we can do there. If there is ample milk production, a mother can do breast compression. Um, it's very similar to the breast sandwich, but it's farther back. And the idea is uh, kind of gently squeezing the breast to help the milk flow faster. Sometimes that's very enticing for babies. Um, if there isn't a lot of milk production, then we come back to the at-breast supplementer to increase the flow. Okay. And then, okay, so... All right, so we've got supplementer and then we've got compressing to squeeze, which actually is what we're basically doing is getting the milk to flow quicker into for the baby. Right, right. Yeah, which makes it makes it more like um, a um, uh, more like a more like a, a bottle. Mm-hmm. All right, you are listening to Creating a Family. We are a weekly radio show podcast on adoption and infertility. Today we're talking about breastfeeding without birthing with Alyssa Schnell. She is the author of a book, Breastfeeding Without Birthing, a breastfeeding guide for mothers through adoption, surrogacy, and other special circumstances. Creating a Family has videos and top ten tip fact sheets on topics relevant to uh, either infertility or adoption. And two that you might enjoy are top 10 tips for breastfeeding your adopted child and top 10 tips for breastfeeding an adopted baby accustomed to bottle feeding. Uh, You can find both of these under the adoption, uh, the word adoption on the blue horizontal menu at the top of our site. Just hover over it, click on the word resources, and click on breastfeeding. We have a lot of resources for you um, um, just at the waiting um, all about uh, how to breastfeed your child. Um, is there a upper limit, a age limit, <clears throat> that you would recommend trying to initiate breastfeeding for an adopted child? Hmm, that's a great question. Well, part of it is, you know, it's a very personal decision. Um, we do want to remember that a lot of times when we're adopting an older child, that child is developmentally delayed. So, you know, if a baby is a certain age, you you may want to think of them as actually having the needs of a younger child. So it's one thing to think about. Um, You know, I I, I guess I hesitate to make that decision for anyone. Um, If the baby, if the child is interested, I think that's pretty telling right there. So, yeah, so basing it on interest, what if uh, let's talk a little about just the concept of we got this question uh, it really wasn't wasn't a question it was more of just a comment but i wanted to raise it uh uh for discussion here on the show i think it was on the creating a family facebook support group of comfort nursing where yeah. uh, you're not necessarily at this uh, trying to produce milk for your child um and yet you might want to uh what what do we mean by comfort nursing and how does that differ? Maybe we should just start at the very basics. And how does that differ? Sure. Um, so there's really two general categories of suckling at the breast. 
One is an active suckling where the baby is working to move milk, and the other one is is what we call the more the comfort suckling. It's kind of a lighter, more fluttery suck, and baby really is getting little to no milk during that situation. And most babies do both. We have to be sure that the baby's getting food, but lots of babies enjoy just getting comfort at the breast. So if a mother isn't making much milk, she may choose to, you know, use you comfort suckling and not and use and then feed the baby maybe in another way, a bottle feeding or something, to get the primary source of food. And the the, the only concern that I I would have with that is that some babies will go for that and other babies won't. Other babies will not be interested at the breast unless there's a flow, but some babies will be happy. It's kind of like how we generally use a pacifier in our culture. That's mm-hmm. the comfort suckling. Yeah, and and you can do that if you, even if without trying to um, st- stimulate uh, production, milk production. Depending and, you on know, the that kind of goes uh, well back to your previous question, is that when we're talking about babies over a year, they may be more likely to go for that. Um, for babies less than a year, their primary motivation at the be- breast tends to be getting food. And then once children become toddlers, there, it seems to me, it's been my experience working with mothers, the primary motivation for breastfeeding for these toddlers is the comfort. So if you've adopted a baby over a year old who's interested in comfort suckling and and happy to suckle at the breast without the flow, I think that's wonderful. I think it's a great way to to soothe and comfort your toddler. All right, let's move to talking about milk supply because that is certainly an issue for all, quite frankly, all breastfeeding moms until they are well established in breastfeeding, um, regardless of whether they've given birth to the child or they have adopted the child or had their child through surrogacy, uh, you know, the ultimate question: Do I have enough? So, how how do you know if you are producing enough milk for your baby? Right, it is a question for all breastfeeding moms. If a mother has tried, has been working on inducing lactation before her baby arrives, which usually is through pumping, she's kind of got a head start because she already knows how much milk she can make every day. Um, and we can kind of use that as a basis to knowing how much milk or, or how much formula needs to be supplemented. Um, once the baby is at breast, there's a lot of, we, we watch the baby, um, see, watching the baby's behavior, that the baby's gotten enough. We always watch the weight gain, and pediatricians are usually do a great job uh, monitoring baby's weights. We watch the poopy diapers, watch baby's disposition. So kind of look at, there's a variety of signs to look at to make sure baby is getting enough. If we're going, and then, we, you know, if there's signs that they're not, we certainly want to give them more food. If we're giving too much supplement, there's a disadvantage there, too, because then there's less, the baby's going to demand breastfeeding less. Um, but you would know that as well because then the baby would start having large gaps between feedings. How often, if you're trying to establish your supply, uh, how often should you be nursing your child? Um, I would say at least eight times a day, um, but many babies will nurse much more frequently. And especially in this situation, one thing that, um, I've kind of come to understand. Um, one of my colleagues, Nancy Moorbacher, has come up with this idea of breast storage capacity. So it's sort of like the amount of milk that your breast can can hold at one time. And because mothers who are through adoption or surrogacy don't have the breast development that happens during pregnancy, their breast storage capacity tends to be lower. Um, so they they may be able to supplement less by breastfeeding more frequently. So in my case, I can give you an example. My daughter breastfed 14 times a day, which is a lot. I know it's very demanding, but the alternative would have been for me to supplement, and I just found that it would have been easier for me personally to just offer the breast frequently than to try to figure out either to use the supplementer or to use the bottle. And and the goal is to, oh, I mean, just for people who are listening to this who are thinking, oh, my gosh, 14 times a day, yeah. I will never do anything other than be nursing a baby. Um, it, it, the goal is to increase your supply through constant stimulation so that as time goes on, you will reduce the frequency of your breastfeeding. The baby will get more in each in each nursing session, but... but 
uh, there'll be a longer period of time. And I would assume that would happen with a uh, adoptive mom as well as uh, a, a mom through birth. Has that been your experience as well? Well, I think with an adoptive mom, there's, well, really, probably for any mother, there's a maximum capacity that her breast will hold. It's just that for mothers through adoption or surrogacy, that maximum is likely to be quite a bit less, if that makes sense. But through constant nursing, um, do you increase your capacity? You do, but I'm thinking that there's a, there's an upper limit. Okay, there's a finite limit regardless. Of, yeah. Right. Gotcha. That, that is, that, that's my understanding. That's my experience. Yeah, because there, if you think about adoptive mothers or mothers through surrogacy who are doing a lot of pumping, a lot of nursing, and they still don't make a full milk production. They've done everything that they can do on their side, Mm-hmm. But the breasts just have a you know a finite maximum, and that maximum you know really varies from mother to mother. Okay, that makes sense. And and as you and I talked at the beginning, it might also uh, be influenced by whether or not she had uh, successfully breastfed in the past. Right, right, because then she would she does probably have more breast tissue due to that previous pregnancy and previous breastfeeding experience. And that would even go to a mother who, let's say, has never been pregnant but is breastfeeding her second adoptive baby. I would expect her to make more milk, too. Because she's gone through and her breasts have been stimulated and um, have have produced milk in the past, therefore. Right. 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 All right. Now let's talk about things that uh, I want to break this down into two parts. Uh, What I want to do is talk about things that women can do to increase their supply. First, I want to talk about and stimulate production in general. First, I'd like to talk about things that people can do um, outside of taking medication, and then I'm going to transition into talking about um, taking uh, uh, drugs to help produce, uh, stimulate uh, milk production. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talking without drugs, what are some things that um, moms can do to stimulate milk production? Okay. Um well, breastfeeding is on top of the list. Um, breastfeeding frequently and, and baby who's suckling well at the breast will help stimulate milk production. Pumping will, and we want to use a high-quality pump that's designed for establishing and increasing milk production. There's hand expression, and this is becoming kind of a resurgence of popularity. Hand expression can be very beneficial and helpful. Um, then there's there are some techniques that are not directly removing milk from the breast that helps stimulate it, like um, breast massage or stimulation of the nipples, like rolling the nipple and pulling the nipple. There's partner suckling. So all of those things are kind of wake-up calls to the breast to start making milk and continuing to make more. All right, so those are, and we receive, well, let's go ahead and move to that. We'll, we'll, I'll get the question here in a minute. All right, then I'd like to talk some about drugs. And I'm coming, I, I'm, of the deep perspective of the less medication I put in my body, the better. And I actually take it a little to the extreme. I'm getting ready to do a uh, an overnight hike that I do every year with a group. And I really messed up my knee some last year, and it just hurt like the dickens coming down. And, uh, well, I'm actually going up. And I'm debating on whether to even take ibuprofen. So that that shows you where I'm coming from. Uh, one might say that I'm not necessarily balanced, but I avoid all <laughs> medications um, if I can. Although, here, I may be taking the ibuprofen, okay, but, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, but I'm debating it. Uh, so anyway, so, so you're coming, you're talking to a person who, who is very, uh, uh, who, who avoids all medications if I possibly can. So uh, I continue to be concerned about the safety to, to, to both moms and babies from, um, from, the, from the medication. So I do want to talk about that as well. Um, but and now that I've scared you, let's, uh, <laughs> let's start by talking about what are the medications that uh, are routinely uh, recommended, and then I'd like to talk about uh, how they work and, and their safety. Okay. Um, well, the big one I'm sure you have in mind is domperidone, um, and that is a drug that was originally designed for gastrointestinal difficulties, but they found that um, it also causes the body to release prolactin. So one that cool thing about it is this is not an artificial hormone. It's your your body's natural prolactin. It's just that the it's a 
the domperidone is a dopamine antagonist, which means that it's helping the body to, to release the, the prolactin that it already has. And prolactin is the hormone that causes milk production. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, what was your question about that? Oh, the concerns about the safety and so forth? Of well, it? okay, and, and I have two concerns. One would yeah. be the, um, the, I mean, the, the, the quantity and over the period of time that the mother herself, so she's exposed, she has been exposed, um, to the uh, 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 to the medication, and then my concern that the baby uh, is ingesting uh, this drug as well uh, through the through the nursing. Okay. Well, let me address the baby first. Um, typically, with medications, the baby gets, and it depends on the medication, but on average, about one percent of the maternal dosage. So the baby does get very little. And um, Domperidone is actually a, a medication that's given to babies for reflux widely in Canada and probably in other countries as well. And the amount that the babies are given when they're prescribed Domperidone is much, much higher than the amount that goes into the milk. So I think that's very comforting, and that's often what we look at when we're considering medications that are safe for mothers. We look at, is this medication prescribed for the baby, and how is the dosage that the, the baby will get through the milk compared to what is safely prescribed. So in this case, we feel like compared to what the baby would be getting, you know, through the prescription, it is very small. But Um, when baby is taking it as a prescription medication, the baby is taking it usually for a one-week, maximum two-week period of time. Um, A baby who is breastfed may be exposed over a period of a year, two years, and, you know, even more. Yeah, that is a good point. And, you know, again, if, 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 a mother has a bad gut feeling about this, then, you know, that she needs to not do it. I think the thing to remember is more than any other medication, the Domperidone seems to make a very big difference in milk production for most mothers. Mm-hmm. So it does, I mean, about, of the medications we've ever talked about, Domperidone is the one that, you know, this is not a myth that, our, I, as I understand it from talking with doctors, it really does have a direct impact on pro, uh, on the prolactin and, and, and thus on milk production. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so you have to remember that if the mother doesn't have the milk production, generally the alternative is going to be formula, and there are health risks with formula as well. So each mother sort of has to weigh, you know, her own sort of risk benefit. And I would never That's tell a mother that she should or should not. It's, you know, a very individual decision. Okay, yeah, I see your point that... that that the thing you're weighing it against when you're when you're weighing a risk you have to look about at what the alternative is and uh okay so now let's talk about uh any uh health impacts to a mom for taking um domperidone for i don't know a year two years whatever right right um you know there are some health risks in the book i have kind of list some of the concerns to look for um, no serious health impacts have been reported to Health Canada, who they've been using Domperidone for breastfeeding mothers for, I think, 30 years, um, and there's never been a serious health issue with a breastfeeding mother. So I find that very confirming. But again, you know, if a mother is not comfortable with that, then she should, you know, go with her gut. Um, I am somebody very much like you, and I will tell you that the medications for inducing lactation are the only pharmaceutical medications I've taken in the last 15 years, so I don't take that lightly at all. <laughs> okay, a kindred spirit here. <laughs> so yeah. you think I should take this ibuprofen on this hike? I'm just wondering, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm teasing. Um, so, all right, so from, from the, okay, so how, from a very practical standpoint, and your book does talk about safety issues, and I appreciated that as well. Um, from a practical standpoint, how do you get Domperidone? I mean, what doctor do you go to? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's really tricky right now. There's two ways to get Domperidone in the United States. You can get a a prescription from your doctor and have it compounded through a compounding pharmacy, but even not all compounding pharmacies will compound Domperidone. So the mothers I've used have actually gone to compounding pharmacies in other states to have it. In other states or other countries? In other states. So there's a couple oh, okay, gotcha, uh, okay. pharmacies that I know of that, yeah. Um, but you can also order from other countries. Um, 
and then there's there's no prescription involved, although I always suggest you know talking with your doctor before going through with that, but you can order it overseas and i've got on my website I've got links of of how to to go ahead and order that if a mother wants to do that. Um, I will say too, I want to put in a plug that there are us breastfeeding advocates who are working very hard in getting Domperidone FDA approved. And it is in clinical trials now, so we're really, really hoping that mothers won't have to go through all this rigmarole and can just get a regular prescription sometime. And I mean, I imagine it's not going to be very soon, but hopefully in the next few years they'll get that taken care of. Why does the FDA um, in the U.S. Uh, not use Domperidone either for um uh, nursing moms who are struggling with developing their supply at the beginning, and I'm not speaking now of of, of adoptive or, or, sur- or moms through surrogacy. I'm talking about just uh, your average uh, Jane Schmo uh, nursing mom who may be struggling at the beginning. We don't prescribe Domperidone, we meaning in the U.S., for that, nor do we prescribe it, as I understand it, and I may be wrong on this, so, so please correct me if I am. We don't prescribe it for as uh, for uh, colic or uh, gastrointestinal upsets in, in babies, either one. Um, do you know why it is not, and I realize you're not a doctor, but you've done research, so um, everybody take this because it's not a doctor speaking, but, but right. from your research, why do we not, uh, why does the U.S. not prescribe, what are their concerns, what's the FDA, FDA's concerns? Well, um, I can give you information from a doctor. My brother-in-law is a gastroenterologist, and he does uh, prescribe uh, Domperidone for his patients. He told me so, that they get it the same way we do as breastfeeding mothers. Um, And he said the reason that it is not, well, okay, I'll tell you his reason, I'll tell you what the FDA says. He says that it has to do with money, that the patent on the Domperidone was running out, so there wasn't, it cost a lot of money to get, something FDA approved, and the company that made it just didn't have the financial impetus to push it through in the United States. Um, What the FDA will say is that they had some concerns about the safety. Now, what happened was years ago there were some elderly men who were on chemotherapy who were taking Domperidone intravenously um, for for the nausea related to the chemotherapy, and some of them had some very serious heart-related issues. But these were talking about these were men, I think, generally over the age of 80, and they were taking it intravenously, which is a much much higher dosage than a mother would take it for breastfeeding. So, and that's why I pointed out that there's never been any serious heart-related or other issues for breastfeeding mothers taking it. It's just been these elderly men who have cancer and are already on chemotherapy and are taking it intravenously who have had issues. All right, and and our audience needs to know that neither Alyssa nor I are medical professionals. We don't pretend to be them. We don't we don't play them on TV. We don't have anything. So you need to discuss this with your doctor and your child's pediatrician. And you can also uh, read Alyssa's book, uh, Breastfeeding Without Birthing, to get to to get more information. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you be part of our community. On Twitter, you can connect with me at Dawn Davenport one or you can connect with Creating a Family at Creating a Family, all one word. On Facebook, that's on Twitter. On Facebook, you can connect with me at Dawn.Davenport1, or you can like our Facebook page, the Creating a Family Facebook page, or you can join the Creating a Family Facebook support group. And actually, the conjunction I should have said was and. You should follow me, Dawn Davenport, Davenport one and like our Facebook page and join our very active support group. The easiest way to find uh, the support group as well as the uh, Creating a Family page is just to type in the words Creating a Family in the Facebook search box, and we will pop right up. Here's a question from one of our audience. Speaking, uh, actually, it came in off of Facebook. I think it did anyway. Um, this is Julie. She says, I used uh, Domperidone and pumping to induce lactation for a one-year-old we are adopting. I am only making 20 ounces a day. At this point, would it be worth using the birth control method to induce lactation to increase my supply? Also, any tips on how to get a 14-month-old interested in nursing? Um, well, I tell you what, let's, I'm going to read her second part of her question. 
let's talk, let's talk about uh, what she means about the birth control method of inducing lactation uh, and the wisdom of considering that uh, for somebody who has already tried Domperidone and is, she doesn't say how long she's been doing it, but she's making 20 ounces a day. So let's talk about that first. Now, did she say that her, her baby's already arrived? Is that right? Um no, I don't think the baby has arrived. I think the baby is to arrive and will be one year old. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, no, she did not say, but I'm pretty sure that, that the baby, just reading through, um, that the baby is not uh, has not arrived yet. She's working on it now. Okay, so it sounds like she's pumping and taking down Peridone. She's making 20 ounces a day, and she's kind of getting ready for baby to arrive, and she wants to make sure that she's doing what she can to make the most milk. Yes. Okay. Bingo. Well, first of all, I have to say that I would never put only in front of 20 ounces a day. Um, that it's is funny. I thought the same thing. <laughs> ounces a heck. That's not is bad. Ama- yeah, that is amazing, awesome, excellent. That's super. I, I, Especially if she's got a child over a year old, I'm going to call that a full milk supply right there. Um, I mean, usually a full milk supply is 25 ounces plus, but... You know, we're talking about a child who's going to be most likely be taking solids. So Absolutely. A one-year-old will be. She is there. She is doing great, and I would not change a thing. I think she's uh, it's huge. Um, and I will say, like, my personal experience, I said that I didn't end up uh, supplementing. I was only making 15 ounces a day when my daughter arrived. So just having the baby at the breast, too, is going to, is going to you know, the breast is better than any breast pump any day. So I, I think she is. Just keep doing what she's doing with with inducing milk production. She's doing excellent. Okay. Now let's talk a little, though, for others who might be interested in what she means by the birth control method. Sure, yeah. So um, there are a lot of ways we can induce lactation, and I want to emphasize that the one thing that is necessary is the physical stimulation. The medications, and we didn't talk about herbs, but there's sometimes people use herbs, those can help mm-hmm. increase the effectiveness of the physical techniques, but they are not necessary and they don't do anything, you know, on their own. Um, Quickly, so, for those people who are listening, we talk a lot about, we've got a lot of resources on our site on what she means by herbs, so go to creatingafamily.org uh, slash adoption. Hover over the word adoption would be the easiest way to do it. Click on resources, click on breastfeeding, and you'll, you'll get links to as well as her book also talks about it, um, uh, Breastfeeding Without Birthing. Okay, go ahead. Now we're going to talk about the um, uh, birth control method. Yes. So um, the way I think about inducing lactation, I break it down into three steps. The first step is preparing the breast for making milk. And this is kind of analogous to what would happen for a woman who is pregnant. She's not making any milk, but her breasts are getting ready. The breast tissue is developing. Her breasts are feeling heavier and tender. Um, then the next step would be starting to make milk before the baby arrives. And these two steps are not necessary. Not everybody does them, but that would be usually pumping. And then when step three being baby has arrived. So in step one, one thing a mother can do is she can start to try to simulate the hormonal state of pregnancy. She can do that by taking the birth control pill without the week of placebo and a certain type of birth control pill with a, with a certain amount of estrogen and progesterone and that will elevate her estrogen and progesterone, which happens during pregnancy. She also would take the domperidone, which elevates prolactin, and then she's got the hormonal state of pregnancy. Then when, as soon as she's ready to make making milk, either she's ready to start pumping or, or she's ready to start breastfeeding, she stays on the domperidone, so keeps those prolactin levels high, but she goes off of the birth control pill. And that's what happens when a mother delivers the placenta Her estrogen and progesterone drop very quickly, and that's what causes the milk to come in. So that's the whole idea with the birth control pill is to simulate that hormonal change that happens in pregnancy and birth to help the milk to come in. Her milk is already in. If she starts taking the birth control pill now, it's going to dry up the milk. So she's going to be starting way back. Okay. So I I would definitely not suggest that. for some mothers, though, who have a long lead time, um, it can be very helpful. I've noticed that mothers who do the birth control pill with the domperidone, their milk does seem to come in much more quickly and more abundantly. But unfortunately, we don't have any studies that show specifically 
you know, what the impacts are with the birth control. We do have studies on domperidone, not particularly with adoptive mothers, but in general. Um, yeah, that, that's an interesting point. Um, I had not, I've not heard of any studies on, in general, uh, on uh, adoptive moms or moms who surrogacy, through surrogacy who have breastfed as to what type of techniques work best, which produces the most, uh, does it truly increase bonding, you know, long-term impacts. Have you, do you know of any research out there? I've not seen it, but I just wondered if you had, known, had heard of any. I mean, there aren't any, like, randomly controlled trials or anything like that. And that's always very tricky with breastfeeding because if you want to do a real good study, you assign some people to one group and some people to another group. Uh And we know that breastfeeding is is such a health benefit that it would be almost like uh, assigning people to a smoking versus a non-smoking group. You know, if we already know that there's health effects, you can't ethically do that. But um, I think part of it, too, is that there just isn't a lot of awareness in, about, you know, adoptive breastfeeding. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book is that half of it is just to let people know that this is possible because most people don't even know that it can be done. Right, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that there's not been any research. And then it goes back yeah. to the money issue, you know, who yeah. stands the game. I mean, there's, you know, it's a – here's a question from Amy. She says, my husband and I recently – began the home study process for domestic infant adoption. We are getting all the paperwork together and hope to be ready to put our profile out there by mid-June. I would very much like to breastfeed our baby when he or she comes home. We have a five-year-old bio child who I breastfed until he was three years old. I was a prolific producer and even pumped and shared my milk with friends' adopted baby. I was hopeful that I will be able to offer our baby an extended breastfeeding relationship. My question is, how soon should I start the birth control hormones? Should I wait for a match, or should I start once we are actively seeking a match? Also, I am over 40. Is there a pill that would be better than the others? I love your show. Thank you for Okay, gotcha. All right, so, um, all right, so this is for Amy. Uh, her first question is, how soon should she start, uh, and, and let's talk about the, uh, she, she's mentioning the birth control hormones. So let's talk about both uh, the the breast stimulation, you know, pre prior to, and as well as in her case, birth control hormones. How soon should she start all of this? And knowing that, and, and you know this, but let me just make sure that our audience is on the same page. With adoption, any type, but in particular domestic uh, infant adoption, the timing is really iffy. You just don't know. It's up to a uh, a, a expectant woman to choose you, and and you don't know when that's going to happen. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's very tricky. And that's one of the advantages of the um, doing the birth control pill with the uh, the Don Perido. And this is, I should I should clarify, this is the Newman Goldfarb Protocols for Inducing Lactation. That's the, it's a copyrighted name for that. Um, and there are other protocols as well. Um, but this is just one of them that a lot, that I, that's the one that I used and a lot of mothers have had excellent success with it. Um, So one advantage of the Newman-Goldfarb protocols is that a mother can be on the birth control pill as well as the domperidone for several months. In fact, longer is good. We want them to be on there for at least two months, although, again, as you said, we don't always have control over that, but ideally it would be at least two months. And then if a mother is on it for longer, just like, you know, a mother has those pregnancy hormones for nine months, if a mother is taking those for nine months, that she's in good shape. Um, the question has come up, what is too long? What if I have to wait a year or longer? Um, and I have looked into this, and certainly she should talk to her doctor about this, but <clears throat> I have talked to um, both Dr. Newman, who developed the, the protocols, as well as uh, another doctor here locally. And um, there was not a lot of concern about taking the birth control pill without the legal placebo for a long period of time. Apparently, this is becoming a more popular thing for women who just don't want to have their period for various, if they have period-related problems. And they're people who've gone without a period on the birth control pill for five years. So that was confirming to me. But again, she should do what you know she feels most comfortable with. Does that answer the right. question? Yeah, you absolutely did. Um, I wanted to spend uh, just a little bit of time talking about. We have videos on uh, online for 
uh, creating a family videos on uh, adoptive breastfeeding, um, and as well as uh, breastfeeding an internationally adopted child. The comments that we have gotten on those videos have been interesting, I guess would be one way of saying it, um, and some have just been, uh, you know, that there, it's been a very strong reaction to some people, and some are obviously very supportive and excited to know that this resource exists, you know, so it's all over the board. Um, but I've always been interested in uh, why people react so ne- some people react so negatively to adoptive or surrogate moms breastfeeding, and I, I've, I've thought about it a lot because I, I've chosen, <clears throat> or I should say, creating a family has chosen um, not to delete these comments from the uh, from our from the video section, um, and and I we, we well there's various reasons we've you know we're we're all about people uh, making their own decisions and, and things like that so there's various reasons that we've done that. Um, have you seen some of this negativity? And if so, why do you think that exists? Um, the only place that I've seen it is on on your site. I, I read those comments. And <laughs> oh, you've read some of our sweet comments. Oh. I have. I really enjoyed your videos, and that's why I was watching them, and I scrolled down, uh, certainly expecting to hear some positive feedback. <laughs> and I was shocked. In fact, I was in tears when I saw those comments. They were horrible, horrible, um, mm-hmm. you know, accusing really of sexual abuse, in fact, and, uh, oh. It was, it was horrifying. Well, and some, and some you can. I, I have seen it other places. I will say this. Okay. I, I don't think it is just there. And, and some you can, quite frankly, just discount because they're, you know, they're just, you know, they're loonies out there, and and they come to play uh, in the internet because of the anonymity part. But I think there's an underlying some some of the comments are not truly just loonies. Uh, well, maybe they are. How would I know? But they uh, they don't seem to be. You know, and and it's. Uh, and I've seen the same thread. Well, in fact, I will say that on uh, I've mentioned this before uh, on what we do an annual uh, or semi-annual. I don't know how. Usually, once a year, we do a panel show with um, uh, birth moms who have already placed their children. And on one of the shows, uh, we received a question from somebody who wanted to breastfeed uh, their adopted child, and they asked how the if they asked this panel how they would respond. And it was interesting, and it took me by surprise, but it was a big turnoff uh, to, well, it was interesting, if I remember correctly, there were four women on the show, the two younger women, it was a huge turnoff. The other one, one of the other women who was older and had placed a while back said, well, it, back then when I was younger, I would have, it would have been a huge turnoff, mm-hmm. but now that I have given birth and breastfed and I believe in the, the value of breastfeeding, I, I wouldn't feel that way. Uh, so it was interesting. So I don't think it's just the you know the internet loonies. I think that that this is a uh, a real feeling, and and it, it may not be something that you've thought about. I think I'm going to blog on it tomorrow because it is something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about, and I I, I think it's interesting. I think it's well, I think it has to do with our our society's kind of idea of what breast and and for and, and breastfeeding and all that. Yeah. But I, I, we will. Uh, if that's not something, I will allow. I won't, I won't force you to discuss this. Uh, the, the the loonies of the world, or, and I shouldn't say it because they're not all loonies. There is a. In fact, the women on the, this panel were not loony at all. They were um, quite thoughtful and quite interesting. Um, here's a, a, uh, a, a, a part. It's not really the, the last type of question I should ask, but it's one that I do want to get to because I think this is probably important. Um, one of the, the 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 people that you need support from, mm-hmm. uh, we've talked about the need for support, or I alluded to it at the beginning, um, and, and one of the people that you need support from is your child's pediatrician, mm-hmm. um, and so I, uh, and I think there are pediatricians who don't understand the whole process of induced lactation, and uh, if. Have you heard of people needing to educate their pediatrician, and if so, on the on the benefits and how this is done and all that? And, and if so, uh, what resources would you suggest that they utilize in educating their pediatrician? Good question. I, I think in general, it is a matter of education, edu- educating the pediatrician. Most of them, most pediatricians or most doctors in general, get very little education on even regular breastfeeding. And in this special case, they're they're generally not going to know about it unless they've already had a patient, I think, who's gone through it. I think that's very true. 
So this is a great opportunity for the lactation consultant to be on board. And what I always do when I see a client is I always write up a report to the doctor and so that we're all on the same page, we're all working together. And I'm also very happy to talk to doctors who have any questions or concerns. So that would be that would probably be the ideal way is to bring in the lactation consultant yes. as part of the team. So that they and and how would somebody find a lactation consultant? Because I think that most adoptive moms and moms through surrogacy, so mothers who have not given birth who want to breastfeed, would be well served to especially at the beginning have somebody on board uh, to help them just to answer questions and support them. Yeah, uh, so how would somebody find it? I do, and I do recommend that a mother who's inducing lactation work with a lactation consultant because it is a special situation, and I think that help would be very beneficial, even if she has my book and other resources. I couldn't um, agree with you more. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so the unfortunate piece is that even among lactation consultants, not not all of them really know much about the process of inducing lactation. So what we really want is not only to connect with a lactation consultant, but to connect with one who knows something about the subject. So um, the, on my website, I do have a tab that's uh, find a lactation consultant, and it's got a couple of links. There's One of my colleagues has been working on putting together a list of lactation consultants who are knowledgeable about induced lactation. Unfortunately, right now, it's just been... She's just been working on it a few months. It's very, very small. You, most mothers are probably not going to find somebody local. Um, but then I do have a couple of other choices. The second choice I would go to, and she probably will find somebody here, is on the there's a website called lowmilksupply.org, and it's really for any mother who is working to build her milk supply, not just in our special situation. And she's got a list of lactation consultants state by state who you know, who are experienced in working with milk production issues. They may not have direct experience with induced lactation, but certainly that would be another good starting point. So if you go to my website, there's links to all those. And and if you are really struggling, uh, let me offer the suggestion that you hire a, uh, you find a lactation consultant that is nearby to help you with some of the latching on practicality things. But also consult, in, in assuming that that person doesn't have specific experience with adoptive uh, breastfeeding or surrogate breastfeeding, or surrogacy mother breastfeeding, um, then to contact a uh, lactation consultant, perhaps even Alyssa or others, uh, who have specific experience and, and work with them via the phone, via Skype, um, for some of the, pardon the pun, non-hands-on mm-hmm. uh, specific advice and I have heard of people who have utilized both. It is not a permanent thing. You do not have to. This is your need is often a relatively short term need. Uh, it's it's not going to go on, you know, forever. Um, and we have come to the end. And I am so sorry because we could literally keep talking about this for for some time. Um, if uh, for our audience and and Alyssa for you as well, for those who want to participate in a discussion of the topics of this show. Check out my blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org slash blog. This show, as well as all of our resources, are brought to you by the generous support of our sponsors, including our gold sponsor, Nightlight Christian Adoption. They are an adoption agency with offices in California, Colorado, and South Carolina, and they have adoption programs literally throughout the world. They also have a domestic infant program and their Snowflakes embryo donation embryo adoption program as well. Thank you, Alyssa Schnell, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. Alyssa, you have mentioned your website, and if you would give us uh, the URL for your website, I would love to recommend people go over there. It is uh, www.breastfeedingwithoutbirthing.com. And you can buy her book uh, from that website or through Amazon, either one. Uh, So go to wherever it is you choose. I do recommend the book. Uh, it's a great first step uh, if, if uh, to read through if you were even just remotely thinking about it. Let me point out that today is Infertility Advocacy Day, so call your senator or your representative to support the Family Act and other legislation important to those suffering from the disease of infertility. To get more information, you can go to the Resolve website, which is resolve.org. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I will see you next week.
The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Old moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Old moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.